religion, politics, philosophy, and science. You will be challenged. You will question everything you thought you believed. Prepare to be. Hey everybody, how's it going? We're here, episode three of the Analyzed Podcast. I'm your uh, co-host, Elias Dan, here today with uh, the uh, ever-doubtful Mr. Thomas McCown. You're just insistent on that, aren't you? Oh yeah, I love the the doubtful Thomas. I mean, I, I, you're you know. not wrong, but nickname for you i like i like to have uh you know michael scott name association you know anyway but uh so who else is with us today we got sam adams i'm here good to be here hey sam we liked sam so much that we're just gonna have him on all the time now he's he's great and serotonin yeah yeah i'm here to provide you with some good happy chemicals so Ooh. yeet and uh so a lot's going on in the world right now we're still mid-pandemic we're um uh god rest our soul ruth bader Ginsburg uh passed away i believe and uh, uh, me being a completely oblivious white male felt the need to kind of start actually looking into what she's doing because i've been uh trapped in the uh religious doom cult of Christian evangelicalism. The religious closet. Yes. So I didn't know anything about her. Um, watched some uh, some documentaries and w- wow, was really impressed. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, my salute to uh, the notorious RBG. And uh, so, guys, what are we talking about today? So today we're gonna we've got a an interesting topic that I think impacts a lot of Americans, um, and it has to do with rent and landlords. Uh, I wanted to first off start off with some statistics because the COVID crisis has kind of brought this front and center. Uh, so right now in the United States, there are 100 million households. That are renters. So about a third of the country rents. And of that, a third of those are at risk for eviction by the end of the year because of delayed Mm -hmm. stimulus and um, essentially people not working. So uh, this has caused some pushback from some people who think that landlords contribute nothing to society, that they're exploitative. That uh, essentially they don't—they simply don't contribute. They sit on their butt collecting money from people who are, who are doing the hard work uh, and going out and just essentially doing the capitalism on people. So, wanted to discuss that today. Uh, get some input from everybody's thoughts on this. Uh, just a few more quick stats: thirty-six uh, percent of Americans live in rental properties. And uh, that rental rate has increased 31% since 2010. Uh, Freddie Mac states that there are currently, looks like, 3.3 million homes um, as a shortage in the United States. So we don't have enough houses. And then that's actually driving the rental markets because as houses become available, they're being purchased by investors who then turn around and then put it on the market for rent. At the same time, on the flip side of that, though, the people who are traditionally in the position to rent are right now the the millennial generation who now carry massive student loans. And that kind of acts as a barrier to purchasing a home. So renting is almost the only option that they have. Um, So just kind of want to get going on this and see what what everyone's thoughts are. Where, Where do you guys stand on? On, on renting is is this something that is is essentially ruining the housing market do landlords 
fail to bring value to the market? Uh, and uh, what kind of solutions do you think might be out there? I mean, in what little... <laughs> I, I tried to do some research myself, and for what I was finding, I, I didn't find a whole lot of people trying to uh, argue in favor of landlords uh, so much. Uh, maybe just because it's taken for granted that it's you know it's it's legitimate. Um, I did find some arguments that were criticizing it, and I had a really hard time disagreeing with them. So I'm not sure how much I'll really be able to contribute to the conversation, uh, just because I, I wasn't really disagreeing a whole lot. What are the, some of those? particularly things that you found thomas i mean just the, just kind of the, the concept that um landlords aren't actually doing the work so like you know a property management company they're maintaining the property uh they're taking care of the residents uh, they're doing all of the footwork um that's necessary mm -hmm. to you know for rental property but for someone to own the property you know they generally will pay out all of you know the, the um uh, the workers who are doing the work but meanwhile, they're just sitting there collecting, you know, profits and they'll use that to invest into more properties to then make more profits. And they're not actually technically contributing anything other than just owning the land, which arguably yeah. could be done publicly, maybe not, you know, by a private person who's doing it for profit and usually maximizing, you know, the amount of rent he possibly can to maximize his, pro maximize his profits. The argument was that if it was done publicly, um, you know, then that money, uh, there wouldn't be so much incentive to raise the pricing and more incentive just to provide reasonable, you know, uh, housing for people to be able to afford it. Interesting. But the thing, the thing about the whole landlords is it ends up being the attack of the, the management of the property at the property level. Now, if there's two different types of um, landlords. You have your private owned, like they have a couple duplexes, and then you have bigger companies. So what are people really attacking? The apartment communities, the large mega apartment communities, or the private owned duplex guys? So I've seen arguments well, both ways, um, both on the apartment side and in the small term side. And and let, let me put this in the context here. I've rented my home for the past five years. In that time, I have transferred $53,700 worth of my labor to my landlord, who has essentially done absolutely nothing except own the land and pay the taxes. I pay all utilities. I do all of the yard work and essentially most of the upkeep. Should something break, yeah, he'll send someone out some, to, to fix it. But is that worth $53,000 over that time where um, I could have been paying on a, on a house? So, um, yeah, that's kind of where I'm coming from here. That's an interesting uh, way to look at it. I don't know how much information I can really put into this subject other than I do, um, I do commercial and residential painting. And so I have uh, a few clients that are home renters and they have, I think, about 16 uh, homes that they rent out. Um, and, and they are more affordable. However, um, there's so many little kind of socioeconomic issues that get put into that, you know. Um, an issue that I find is uh, renters usually being subcontracted by a renter, I often find myself kind of expected to do um, the cheapest possible work. You know, they don't want to spend money on, um, as, you know, do it as quickly and, and inexpensively as possible. And it, I mean, the houses that I've went and worked for, for on, you know, with this client, these houses were in terrible shape. Mm -hmm. Um, so my, my biggest concern with, you know, a lot of people, especially like, I mean, I'm sure the bigger guys, you know, the property management groups that 
own, you know, multiple apartment complexes or stuff like that might be a little bit of a different story, but I can see a lot of issues, um, for the independent home owning, you know, landlord, um, if, if things aren't done, uh, carefully, cause my concern, and I've, you know, I've had multiple houses that I've worked on there where that I was like, if you don't get this dealt with, you know, we're talking about major remodeling. If you don't get it dealt with in the next two, three years, I mean, your property value is going to be garbage eventually. But uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm thinking too far ahead. But So do you think that um, because they're small-time property owners, um, you know, just they own a couple of properties maybe, um, that they're just mismanaging or that they could maybe, maybe that it could be done better? It could be that. But even, even like I said, I mean, I, I have a client that has, that is an independent, uh, owner and they own 16 properties. And, uh, like I said, a lot of those properties in rough shape. Um, and I mean, if they get a shady contractor maintenance guy in there who is literally, you know, just face value pleasing the, uh, landlords you're going to see a lot of damage done to that house over time so it's it's a i mean and then i have to then i'm catching the issues back where these landlords or these maintenance people have practically destroyed these homes and then they want me to come in and do major repairs on the cheap when there's just no feasible way to make it cheap that happens in bigger bigger companies too um, oh, yeah, I'm sure. Just some background for everyone. I have spent seven years in the apartment industry. I'm an assistant manager at an apartment community. Um, so I know how it works, but um, it's all about profit when it comes to turning units uh-huh. or basically painting, carpet, all of that. So you're going to um, try and find the cheapest way to do it, which doesn't necessarily mean uh-huh. the best way to do it, unfortunately. Yeah, I've found I've found a lot of like mold, water damage stuff, and I'm just like, you got to get this fixed, and and I'm not the guy to do it. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, I could see these all being criticisms, uh, you know, of if it were uh, publicly owned and you know government run, um, at least you know for the the low end and the, kind of the middle class end, uh, we're not necessarily talking about like you know beachfront million dollar properties you know for rent or anything um but i could see these being criticisms if if it were publicly run but if that's already a problem in the private sector um i mean do we really think that they would do a worse job or or might it actually be the same or better i mean we can look at section we we can look at section eight housing as as you know an example of of additional failures because those properties are subsidized they are considered public housing units. They are managed mm-hmm. by a private landlord company most of the time. And what happens is that landlord receives a check from the government and the tenant only pays a very small percentage of the rent themselves. So what we find a lot of times is essentially you hear the term mm-hmm. slumlords. These, mm-hmm. They just take the money and go. And then that's it. Then if they're late on, if a tenant's late on rent, boom, kick them out, move another one in because there's a huge wait list to get people into these units. So they have a constant um, supply of new tenants coming through and government checks coming in. So that's, that's basically then just a government subsidized system, yes. not an actually a, a government run, run system. system. Yeah, that's correct. It doesn't that seem kind of interesting and strange to me. It's like, you know, the government, it's like the way our government works. It's just going to be better if we do things uh, more socialized. Yeah. You know, like the government has to follow its own checks and balances. If the, if it's a government, fully government funded kind of, you know, uh, socialized program compared to you know the government contracting it out to private owners 
and then you you know those private owners i think strangely enough there might be some of these same kind of issues and this is a strange topic to veer into and, I, and we can lead it right back but some of the similar kind of issue kind of i think happens in foster care <laughs> uh where you know there are checks and balances in place when it's a government based program you know if like it's a group home like I had where we're receiving a lot of grants. Uh, we're held to high standards, but foster care parents may not be held to as high of a standard. There might be loopholes. Um, and I think that might be what we're kind of talking about is kind of this really strange thing where the government kind of, uh, you know, scratches somebody's back and they scratch it back. And I don't know weird to me so i th think one of the problems that we would have with a socialized system is the imbalance of supply and demand so we would still mm -hmm. i mean when we're looking at 3.3 million home about uh, 3.3 million home shortage in the united states as it is if we were to socialize everything we already don't have enough homes to meet the demand for the people who, right. who are out there so that's something we need to consider uh right but on the flip side, let's let's talk about this. In 2019, in order to afford a two-bedroom rental in the United mm -hmm. States, the average wage that you would need is $22.96 per hour. And we have, what, a minimum wage of, what, seven-something right now? Yeah. It's like yeah. $7.50. Um, a yeah. a one-bedroom, you have to be uh, earning $18.65 an hour on average. So we're talking at, at minimum wage, 127 hours a week. I mean, the only people winning there are the people at the top. Um, the people yeah. at the bottom are definitely losing in that system. Uh, not to say that, you know, a socialized system would work either, but it's it's maybe a step away from the direction of someone, you know, making ridiculous amounts of profits at the cost of somebody else's, you know, just needing to have a roof over their head. Right. I, it appears to me that, like... A lot of what I've noticed uh, is there's so much going on economically and then more of these kinds of problems arise continually, continuously and things get harder and harder and harder. And then all of a sudden there's some kind of like uh, some business will come out and like disrupt the industry and then the industry will shift and it buys us a little more time. But I don't know if that's going to happen with, um, you know, uh, land and, and home right now. Right now, more people are <clears throat> renting than they are buying. buying. Yeah, and right. And the people who are buying are buying to rent. They are renting those properties yeah. out. So, Well, that's that's mm. been the format. I think there are a lot of people out there who have kind of tried to follow the rules the best they can and and follow the wisdom that they were given of go to go to college you know get your degree get a good job and then that not work out as well so they start kind of looking for their own ideas on how to you know uh, grow wealth and and pay off their debt you know um and the house hacking thing is like huge um as far as y young people online you know, trying to talk and and teach and develop uh, new ways to make money. It, I mean, to me, it kind of sounds like the criticisms that we're having are kind of almost aimed at, you know, capitalism itself because capitalism yeah. is exploitative by nature. Um, and mm -hmm. I mean, that the way that capitalism is structured, it provides an incentive. So it makes it very effective for, you know, growing vast wealth uh, especially from you know developing countries um so it's not a it's not an entirely bad system it's it's you know it's definitely benefited a lot of people um but i think the problem that we're kind of running into now is at the back end of that capitalistic system where we don't have any kind of regulation for you know the the people at the bottom class for what they're able to make and yeah. Now we're basically capitalizing on their basic needs, which is a home. So that's right. that's where I see that, you know, the, yes, capitalism is exploitative by nature. 
And in some areas, maybe that's okay because of the benefits that we get out of it. But then, you know, if, if we're talking about somebody's basic needs, how do we address that if they're not able to get that under the system that we have? Um, right. Maybe we come up with some sort of incentives for, um, you know, people who own properties to provide better, more affordable housing to people. Or maybe we just implement, you know, minimum wages that that people uh, you know, can actually live on uh, as opposed to now where, you know, people have to have two and three jobs just to be able to afford anything. Yeah. Cost of living definitely needs to be considered, especially when it comes to market rent um, for sure. And the question is, is market, I mean, pricing in, in terms of economics is nothing more than how the market is communicating demand is. So if right. rents are extremely high that means that there's shortages we don't have enough properties available for people to go get into raising doesn't raising minimum wage would also have that effect it would increase rents further putting them further out of out of reach because you're increasing demand on a limited supply That's but correct. but we're talking about a basic need that everybody doesn't have a choice in so you know even if the the uh the supply is there um even if people really can't afford what's there, uh, the value is being determined by the limit and resources, not by what people actually place, you know, as a value. And I mean, that system works for commodities, but commoditizing people's basic ability to live kind of exploits them because they don't really have a choice in that. They have a choice of whether they buy a TV or go to the movies. They don't have a choice whether they live in a house or not, unless they just you know, the, the alternative is to be homeless. Mm -hmm. I think that's where, um, you know, the, the ethics start to get involved, where an exploitative system, when it's exploiting somebody's basic needs, uh, that starts getting, you know, crossing into, you know, is this, is this unethical? Oh, yeah. And I mean, if they don't have, if they're making minimum wage and they can't afford a one bedroom or two bedroom in a in a nice more desirable area they're going to have to go into areas that are less desirable because that's all they can afford well that's putting it nicely they're going to areas that are dangerous <laughs> yeah i mean or just lower income not necessarily right. dangerous maybe you know sometimes it is sometimes it's not right. it's just depending but best case scenario they're not know, very nice you end up getting you know worse schools so if you have mm. kids you're putting your kids into bad schools because you can't afford a nicer area yeah, right. um and that's a big issue absolutely um there's a and also if you're living in high crime i mean you're not like the likelihood of you owning a car like in a area that's got a higher crime rate you're not like Owning a car is kind of a, a major liability. You're gonna have well, to like, I mean, break into you that can. car. It, it's just gonna get broken into. It's broken a lot. into. But that happens yeah. in. Yeah. But that happens in nice in areas. Every area. Yeah, I see. Yeah. You know, crime has no zip code. So yeah. here's an interesting statistic: fifty-four percent of renters delayed medical care just to pay their rent. Mm. So I can believe that. No, I mean, now we're mixing in. You know, uh, making. Making medicine, which is also a basic need, um, something yeah. that people profit off of, and people having to choose between you know their their health and their their home. Well, you yeah. have mm -hmm. um, eviction fees, and eviction filing is very very expensive. Um, for example, ours is three hundred and fifty dollars on top of what the person might owe, which they always do for rent. Mm -hmm. um, you know, once they get to that point, that's a lot of money you're paying just to have a roof over your head, $350 to mm. stop an eviction, sometimes more than that, on That's top of crazy. being behind on rent. So that would make sense why people would deny going to the doctor because, you know, I have to pay, I, I'm going to be kicked out of my home. I'm going to be homeless if I don't pay these fees. And then you have late fees on top of eviction fees. So you get late fees before you get filed on. Um, and I mean, we're not even talking about the poorest of the, poor in society that's starting to creep up into you know the the bottom end of the middle class absolutely yeah that's uh that i, I kind of wanted to go talk about my experience with that because uh you know i definitely when i was renting and uh in the process of getting my wife's immigration um 
dealt with and worked through. I was running. And I mean, I, I had like a, it was part of a, a major, you know, complex. And um, I think we were paying like six ninety a month. Uh, you know, none of the bills, we were paying all utilities, um, you know, and between me and the other guy, we were both working in fast food. <laughs> and so, uh, we were, you know, um, and not to mention, not only that I had to deal with a lot of issues. I had my roommate one time decide to go on a mission trip. And so instead of paying his rent, he put all of his money toward his mission trip money. Mm. And, uh, and so while he was gone, I'm struggling with rent. (laughs) (laughs) Um, another grand example of the evangelical church, uh, stiffen people anyway but um, <laughs> i mean to be fair you know for him that was a a big priority and his goal was you know for the well-being what he believed was the well-being of other yeah. people but well, he was God's sticking will. it to you in the process <laughs> yeah well and that comes down to um you know who are we this weird game of pick and choose but you know, I, I got out of renting. My wife came in and my wife started living at the apartment and we were paying bills and, you know, we, I'd lived there for a year and then the rent's going to go up and it goes up every year. Yeah. Three to 5%. Yeah. And so it went up to 700 and I looked at her and was like, what's the point of living here if we can get a mortgage cheaper? And so we, you know, i Fortunately, had very good credit, um, and I was able to get a house. But that's not everybody's story. And I mean, I I got a, I only got approved for a sixty thousand dollar loan. You mm-hmm. know, well, I think it was seventy altogether because of the. But I mean, the house I li- moved into was rough. It's really rough, and that's the thing. The you know, people aren't people are unable to get the things they need. Um, and I mean, they, you end up paying for it one way or another, whether it's time or money, because really the only options they give to a lot of low income people is like Habitat for Humanity, stuff like that. So maybe this is an interesting point of discussion. Let's talk about barriers to home ownership because I, because I really believe that this is where this problem originates, uh, if people cannot get a mortgage, then they're unable to break that rent cycle. And it essentially, we're just feeding the sheep to the wolves because there's, there's no alternatives for them. They're just going to, if they struggle with rent, they're just going to bounce from property to property or eventually they'll have enough evictions where they're just going to end up homeless because no one's going to take them on. Um, I can tell you trying to buy a home, even though income's good, everything's great, carrying student loan debt complicates things because the banks need to see um, the debt-to-income ratios fall within a certain range in order to get a loan approval. So if you think about how much of our current generation went to college, no longer, you know, where they don't have good jobs and they've got those student loans hanging over their heads that can't be discharged in bankruptcy, we've created a perfect storm where we're going to have permanent renters uh, and we need that. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Um, That actually can also affect if you can get an apartment or not, whether, you know, you have student loans or medical debt. Um, One thing I like about where I work is we don't look at that. And I always tell people that because it's a big concern for them. Um, And then credit score. There's a lot of, um, companies that just solely base it on your credit score based on just a number, right. not based on your your history, your payment history. doesn't matter. Um, and that's crazy to me. Yeah, crazy. yeah, you could be a millionaire and have never need to borrow anything and have a zero credit score and be declined on that on that yeah, if right. that's or what have a using. very, very high deposit, a very high deposit. If you right. have no credit, you're looking at paying up to two months of rent. Oh, wow. And depending on how much yeah. you're looking, that's a lot of money. Yeah. Which, I mean, I 
from the perspective of the renter um, or, you know, the, the landlord, um, their goal isn't just to provide housing. Really, their primary goal is to turn a profit, um, which is, is there a better way to provide housing where there's not a primary goal of creating a profit? You have to. Everything is based on making a profit. We work to make a profit. And and she's not wrong. Uh, in order, even right. at a minimum, you need a profit to um, provide upkeep. Uh, right. to, you know, to flip the house when a tenant moves out. Uh, yeah. Plus, you've got to recoup your cost when you invest in a property. So, uh, Correct. And, and, you know, in my in my case, I mean, I think the landlord bought this home for around forty thousand um, dollars, and now they've essentially made all that back and then some so they're probably finally uh in the green with with, with this time so it, that might be a general theme that we keep running across is that we're you know we're up against an exploitative system that is effective and uh, yeah <laughs> it, it is here's the thing though is is you've got the making a profit which is getting you back in the green or price gouging where you're going above and beyond what it's actually really worth Mm -hmm. in the apartment Mm -hmm. industry you slap the word luxury on a building (laughs) and you can raise the rent i'm not kidding it's not luxury i see apartments that are dated in the 70s and they're saying it's luxury and charging over a thousand dollars no that's not luxury and that's that's another aspect of of um the market is that it's not solely based on supply and demand it's it's i mean in an area where you don't have a lot of other options and there's you know there's really only so much limited land um you can't physically put more there um the price can skyrocket beyond what it you know what it might actually I, what it's actually worth um, or what's reasonable to expect for what you're getting out of it. The median price highly likely. for a one-bedroom apartment in New York City is $3,150. Right. Oh, I mean, I pay for a four-bedroom house $895. I'd say right. average in, it depends on the city, but like right. in Columbus, for example, average for a one-bedroom, you're looking about 800 up to 2000 depending on where you are in the city. Right. Um for example where I work you're over $1000 for a one bedroom. We're considered a deal for what we offer, but even then I'm not going to spend 14 $1500 on a on an apartment. That's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. You can get a mortgage for that. Exactly. Yeah. Ours ours is Actually, less than what mine <laughs> are selling for at work. So it's I, crazy. I almost pay half of my, you know, my mortgage is like almost half of what I paid in rent. Yeah, for right. a two bedroom, you know, and that's that's something I experienced a lot in the industry is people coming to me and saying, "Oh, I could get a mortgage for that." And in Ohio, this area of Ohio, no. If you want to be in a nice area, you're not going to be spending $700 on a (laughs) four-bedroom house. That's unrealistic. So you just kind of laugh and you're like, okay, good luck. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. So those issues, what what are specifically the major issues that get in the way of home ownership? Well, I think we have credit. That's obviously the first big one. Yeah. Um, I think credit standards, even though FHA, which is pretty broad, uh, you can get a loan with a score as low as a 550. The problem is that many of these banks have what's called an overlay on top of them. And what that means is they have a stricter requirement than what FHA says is okay. And... Hmm. That credit score that's normally a 550 then goes up to a 640 or 700 in order to qualify for that FHA loan. And from there, if once you clear that credit hurdle, your next step is that down payment. So again, for a conventional mortgage, you're looking at 20% down. So on a $100,000 yeah. house, you better have you know 20 grand saved up ready to go. Uh, for an FHA, it's only 3.5%, which is a lot, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's a much more attainable target uh but then you have closing costs on the loan which could then add another five to ten thousand dollars you have to have out of pocket 
Uh, then you got to have a property lined up that fits within that budget, that passes inspection, that passes appraisal. It's it's a huge yeah. process to get through. And I, if you're carrying any level of debt, if you have any missed payments in your history, the, everything gets scrutinized. Uh, these banks are making huge investments, and they don't want to lose out. They want their you know, they want their interest. Profit. They want their profit because that's what it is. <laughs> it's profit. Right. Everybody yeah. wants their cut. How are they any different than the landlords? They're not. And I think and I think that's the bigger criticism of the way we have housing structured in in, in the United States and around the world as a whole. Uh, we've commoditized it. And is that ethical? And if it's not, how do you build a better system that ensures the, yeah. the people get that, what they the need? That's the problem. Yeah, I'm guess the problem is is trying to meet people's basic needs as and considering those, you know, uh, a fundamental right mm -hmm. uh, when we need an economic system that can actually support that. And that's I think that's always kind of been the goal of of socialist systems is to be able to, you know, on the tail end of a capitalist system transition into society being able to, you know, provide people's basic needs um, without them, you know, being exploited. But that's a very tricky system. I mean, there, there's, there's different balances of that where you have, you know, you've got full on socialism, uh, and then you've got full on capitalism, but then you've got kind of the in between social democracies where there's regulations in there, um, to try to, you know, provide some of that without being entirely socialistic. Um, it's just a balancing game. I, I think we're kind of on the, the extreme exploitative end of an economic system uh, where then you have other other failed systems that are on the other extreme end of that, uh, and you know pre uh, pre capitalist, you've got you know uh, countries that aren't even developed that are you know just basically in poverty. So certainly, I do see capitalism as a great stepping stone out of that poverty. But uh, then you know where do you go from there whenever it starts to get very exploitative? Yes. What what is the next step? Uh, that's, I think that's what we're all looking for right now. And America's so anti-socialist for fear of communist, you know, we're going to create a communist right. hellscape. Um, but when we're looking at what capitalism is doing, we're, we're not really doing much better here. And I think that we, right. There's, there's, I think that's the thing that people need to recognize is, you know, there, there is no perfect system. Uh, it's just a, a series of compromises where, you know, you're going to have to compromise in one area in order to accomplish a goal. And we've we've made far too many compromises in favor of billionaires and at the expense of like the working and middle and lower classes. Um, we're all supporting them. And it's, you know, the power is is definitely tipped out of our favor. Yes. During the, the discussions for the uh, coronavirus relief bills, that was the, the most painful thing to see was we wrote in how many perks for the upper class and then they cut us, what, $1,200 checks. Yeah. And even then people were like, you can't give money to poor people. They're not going to go to work. And right. I, I, and I still. Uh, that still blows my mind. That's kind of the point. Right. <laughs> they wanted them to be able to stay home. Yeah, they want them to stay home. Yeah. You know what I did with mine? I paid debts. There you go. I paid I paid credit card debt. Yep. And, and it helped. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> but, I mean, d do billionaires need even more money? No. I mean, they're, they're already not contributing. Yeah. Absolutely not. Well, they don't need that money. There's no, why would they need that money? To keep their big corporations profiting. <laughs> yeah. And that's, <laughs> with the, us out of work. that's the biggest frustration. People start getting, you know, and I start getting into conversations about taxing, uh, you know, taxing billionaires with people. And they start getting real weird and leery about ideological ideas about socialism and, 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 uh, you know, um, putting a, a, a limit on what people can make. Um, but I mean, why not? Uh, it, I mean, at the very I least, I think a billion why? dollars is good, right? Once you hit a billion. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I think you're great. All right. Now let's, let's put the money if, elsewhere. I'm yeah. Even like, can, I, 
I work with a very conservative, uh, you know, Fox News Trump supporter, and even he was in favor of an idea uh, in California um, uh, to heavily tax uh, corporations that don't pay very well, uh, you know, and, and if they can pay a certain percentage of their profits out to the workers and benefit the workers for making that profit, then, you know, they get to keep more of their money and lose less of it in taxes. But if they don't, if they hoard it all, it all goes into taxes anyway. And then that goes back into the system to help the people at the bottom, mm-hmm. um, which basically just incentivizes it. And I, I, I don't disagree with him. I don't, think I don't disagree with that yeah. either. I think incentivizing paying your employees well is, is common sense. Right. <laughs> it's, it's, it's another frustrating. I mean, we get into minimum wage and, and the, all those issues, but businesses need to take care of their employees. They, they need, right. And uh, they just don't value them. Um, I, I worked for Walmart for a time, and that was probably one of the worst experiences of my life <laughs> uh, because it, they make you feel like you are Walmart property the second you clock in. Every second of your day is yeah. micromanaged. I mean, that's like most major corporations. That's true. I, and uh, the pay, you know, $9 an hour to go stock yeah. shelves, it's... It's not worth it. It's just not worth it. And there was such pushback at the $15 an hour wage increase that, especially from people who are at the lower end, they're saying, no, you right. can't do that. That's not fair. Right. You, you and know, that I person only, will be making as much as me. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> right. So what's wrong with yep. that? This right. weird, this weird entitlement thing. Like I, you know, growing up, I've always heard that my generation is the generation that's entitled However, it's like, okay, we talk about raising wages and then it's like, well, like you just said, you can't do that. Isn't that entitlement? Like, isn't that the very, like what's uh, me doing, me getting a better shot uh, isn't, isn't like, why, why is that a problem to somebody who had to fight? Like I, I, you know, I grew up in a low income family I had I had a pretty hard upbringing, and it's like I hear about people getting uh, privileges and 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 things like that. I'm like, great for them. I never understood this idea that like they didn't work for it, so so they shouldn't have it. It's the "what's in <laughs> it for thing. me" mentality. Well, and right. too, I mean, this might be a controversial statement, but what's wrong with entitlement? When you are, I mean, if you actually are entitled to better pay for the work that you're doing, um, and someone's calling you entitled for wanting to be paid fairly, right. you actually are entitled to that. Um, what's wrong yeah. with that? I mean, just because yeah. they're getting, you know, exploited doesn't mean that you should too. And maybe if you're no longer being mm. exploited for your work, they'll get paid more fairly as well. I mean, that should benefit everybody all the way up. Yeah. And I, hey, I'm totally on that, on board with that. I'm self-employed and I I encourage everybody out there. I don't know how to help you get there. I don't know what to say and what advice to give you. But if you can push your life toward being self-employed, highly recommend it. Anyway, I've been self-employed and uh, I was not a fan, uh, but <laughs> it's definitely not for everybody. It is not. It's, it's, it's hard. rough. I mean, it's hard. I am perfectly fine. Yes. I'm perfectly fine making a wage. I but I also happen to work. You know, I get paid considerably more than minimum wage and even more than comparable mm. jobs in my industry because my company is union. A lot of phone companies are. Um, and even within my company, we're in a special appendix where we don't get paid what the core technicians get paid. Um, back, you know, when they got hired in 25 years ago, they, you know, they just got a better deal than we did. Um, and even at that, uh, I've had other people in the field walk up to me um, and ask, you know, if we're hiring, no, we're not, and how much we paid. And, you know, they were floored because, you know, their non-union uh, technician job uh, doesn't pay nearly what mine does in my market. So, because the damn union makes it work out for you. <laughs> I mean, in, in I never understood this shit where everybody's anti-union. You know, in Sweden they What's don't. What's going on? In Sweden, there is not a minimum mandatory wage because everybody's employed through unions. Um, that it's required for corporations to hire out of union halls. So, um, it's just right. not a necessity there. 
I want to pull us back into the housing industry. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. right. What What are some major complaints that people say about landlords? Because being basically like a landlord, I don't really hear much um, besides, you know, issues with maintenance and um, well, that's things not, like that. That's not even necessarily the landlord. It's the property management. Yes, management. but people confuse that. They right. see us as landlords. Right, and all you're doing is col- collecting the check and sending it to Correct. corporate, right? right. Yeah, so, we don't care I, about them and all that. Right, and I, and I think that's what the what the big criticism is. Uh, um, the second that money stops flowing from the tenant, they go bye-bye. And the landlords come in and they rent it out to someone else. And again, what has that landlord actually contributed to the economy? Other than providing the land. But and at the end of the day... Some- At the end of the day, though, we don't want to say bye-bye to that person. It's harder to keep residents than to get residents, but it's better to keep the residents, if that makes sense. I'd rather have good residents than to constantly have high turnover. It's a lot more work to get people to move in. It it, it isn't. Actually, it's a lot harder to keep them in the apartment, if that makes sense. So why would right, we want to okay. just be like, bye, get out? Well, if they're not that's paying. A, that's a good... Yeah, yeah, but we would rather well, get was, payment from them right. than to have them kick out. It's, right. it's right. expensive for us as well to go to court. Right. Exactly. And, right. and a lot of people don't see that side of it. And I've heard the criticism. So, you know, the, that landlord's got to pay a mortgage on that property, too. Right. And if that right. rent stops flowing, then what happens when that home gets foreclosed on? Well, guess what? That tenant's going to be yeah. out anyway. Now we're uh, back to the banks. <laughs> yeah, now we kick it back to the bank. But the the criticism becomes that uh, landlords made an investment. It was an investment property, so they should be willing to take a loss on it. And that's one of those arguments that, that I'm hearing so from this group. Are they expecting us just to give them free rent? Just be like, that's, oh, yeah. Is that the question? Yeah, I mean, is that what people want? Because I don't hear solutions. I hear this is the complaint. Yeah. Right. Uh, okay, so how do we fix it? But if I'm, you know, if I'm financially strapped, I can't go to my mortgage company and be like, hey, guys, I can't pay my mortgage. Don't kick me out. I'm just, can I get some free housing here? It doesn't work that way. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Because there's an asset that they paid money for that is sitting out there and they want a return on that investment. So. And that's what's so confusing to me because it's like landlords are the villains, but at the end of the day, life is the villain. Life's Everything the villain. Has right. a cost. Yes. Everything. Yes. This kind of system is the issue. Uh, why is it like a commonplace thing that like, you know, rent goes up per year at a lot of different profit. Well, <laughs> there's inflation. <laughs> and no. market, yeah. So yeah. it's based on the market and how the country or the, the city or the state is doing at the time. So it will fluctuate. Sometimes it'll be cheaper. Sometimes it'll be more expensive. It's supply and demand. Mm. Do you think, well, okay, so do you think there might be an easier way to do or, or better way to do that than just kind of following the market everybody loves this idea of like i it's it just seems normal and commonplace for all of us to just look at the numbers right Mm -hmm. but we look at the numbers and then we use the data to to you know make our decisions and increase and decrease what if there were other variables at hand that we we decided to look at instead than just particularly particularly the numbers of the market so when we if we looked at when we ignore the numbers of the market though what happens is we we we're getting into economics uh you're going to either create a surplus or you're going to create a shortage so when we start ignoring pricing and we underprice the market to where everybody can then afford a, a, an apartment to get into. There's not going to be enough apartments there. Uh, so th- all that price point does is help control that supply and demand piece. When it comes to the, e- the ethical side, so we've got ethics and economics opposed here, we need to come up with a solution for people who are essentially, who, who have a barrier to getting into an apartment, have a barrier to getting into mm-hmm. a home. We just trying to come up with a 
with what that looks like is difficult. Uh, because if let's right. just say we do open up, let's open up this huge housing community organized by taxpayers, free rent for everybody, or, you know, very low rent for everybody. What's going to happen? That's going to fill up in a heartbeat. And then well, I don't know that it, that's the expectation. Um, you know, it, it should be reasonable, I think, is the expectation. <laughs> but how do you determine what's reasonable? Um, that, that comes back to what, what can people actually make in the market? Maybe the problem isn't the, the rent at all. Maybe it's actually just people can't make enough mm-hmm. to survive. It also, you know, maybe these communities or landlords are trying to target specific people based on income. So um, I find that more luxury communities, they tend to bring in like uh, people who work in tech or mm. people who work at, yeah, doctors, banks, pilots, like People that's not out of their price range. I right. can pay seventeen, eighteen hundred a month and all the utilities. That's fine. No problem for me. Right. That's who they're trying to target. And that's how they kind of base yeah. their market on who they're trying to target and yep. the people who are okay with paying that. Right. Which I don't have a problem with. I, I think that, you know, there there certainly is a high end market. Um there's nothing wrong with that being there. But then um what happens when the entire city is a high-end market and people still need to like you know manage the trash service and and mcdonald's and walmart and all the other things that we use here's another thing going back to like elias's question um they didn't they don't they factor the market and everything but they don't think about global pandemics (laughs) Mm. (laughs) they don't they don't think about things that can change drastically and so that was tell- really interesting to navigate and still is interesting to navigate right. in this field. I mean, I work in healthcare and they weren't thinking about global pandemics. I mean, it, we were ev- almost every industry was caught with their pants down. on this. Yeah. Except for so. us. I'm in the, uh, the telecom industry and we, we had the very opposite effect. We went so, very well, high dem- in demand uh, dem- very quickly. Yeah, demand for your services probably <laughs> skyrocketed, right? Everybody works from home now. They need it. Yeah. But, but with, the, with us, no one wants an apartment. It's, no one's looking. Everyone's staying. Yeah. They're hunkering in. They're you know they're yeah. trying to save money. And then the people mm. who are living in our community can't afford rent because they are now on unemployment. Right. So mm-hmm. that is so strange. It's a mess. It's a mess. Um, but to go See, back to the to your question initially, Elias, is like the solution that the market provides the way it's supposed to work in a free market is that more houses should be built more apartment complexes should be going up because investors should see the opportunity. While prices are high, I'm going to make a killing and that increases demand and then the price regulate. So uh, the problem is the market's slow. It's just slow. And we, in the meantime, we have people dying here. It's here. It's pretty booming. I mean, there's a lot of houses. There were a lot of houses getting built and there's a lot of houses selling, um, the the weird thing is and this is this is kind of like that kind of idea of like um there's so many services that i pay for that are monthly service utilities that that like you know every year or so the amount increases and it's like it you know it's kind of like what sarah was saying if you want to keep a customer that's reliable uh you know if they've stuck with you a year and you raise their the rate and then they stick with you for another two years and then you raise the rate again how long until they go to another company and just say well i can start lower here and then i'll do that and then i'll move to the next company same thing you know i i dealt with that kind of issue in telecommunications but to me, it just seems like maybe there's a better way of doing capitalism that we've not figured out yet. You know, like I, I like, you know, I think about uh, Henry Ford because he kind of changed the whole automotive industry through giving, you know, his, you know, employees a lot more benefits. And he, he thought about it in a, a wider with a wider lens, I suppose. But to me, it just doesn't seem to, I don't, I don't know how we, we, the way the system is right now, 
it, it only it benefits. It doesn't the, seem like it's going to last. It's not. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it benef- it's benefiting the people at the top and everybody else underneath is collapsing um, and they don't care. So one of the interesting solutions that I've heard is, is the UBI. So that, that universal basic, basic income, income concept. Yeah. So mm. we cut everybody a check every month for $2,500 and they're free to do whatever the heck they want with it. They want to pay their rent. Perfect. That's great. The trade-off on that is we cut all government programs. So no healthcare, no retirement, none of that. So we're transitioning all of that spending, but we're essentially giving, putting money back in Americans' pockets to do with it how they please. Uh, I'm a proponent of this concept, and I really think that would help even the playing field because for people who don't want to work, that's great. Okay, there's your $2,500. That's what you get to live on for the month. Um, let me tell you, people yeah. on Social Security are living on less, so I and know it's doable. True. Right. Uh, and then if you want to work, it incentivizes people to work. And I think it would also change the yeah. mentality of employers because now employers don't have the power to screw their employees. I've got this much right. money up per month coming in no matter what. And I can go from company to company to find the, you know, the best offering of perks, the best offering of wages. So where are people getting their, uh, their healthcare coverage? They would be paying for it out of pocket, essentially by through the private market. And what's to stop? I, to me, that seems super appealing to a lot of people. That should be, but they, they think we're crazy. Um, go ahead. No, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Uh, I, I, I'm not knowledgeable enough to make a fair criticism of that, but it, it feels um, <laughs> like... Uh, it's your responsibility at the end of the day what you do with that money. Right. Um, yeah. what, what concerns me about that is the cost of health care. Yeah. I mean, people... Which is already mean, a problem as it is. Right. Right. Um, and I don't see that addressing that problem. That's a huge issue. And that's something we can discuss in the future for sure, yeah, um, how that would play into right. it. Yeah. Um, if we taxed every billionaire in this country uh, a, a higher percentage, like, like, don't get me wrong, let's work the numbers out where they can stay billionaires. Mm-hmm. Just right okay. at a billion. But, <laughs> but why? Yeah. You know, yeah. Why do they have to be billionaires? They have yachts. Exactly. They have yachts. Saying it to and me. And those are expensive. Those, those they need yachts. that money. And those 12-bedroom yes. well, mansions. <laughs> here, here's what I love about universal basic income. Here's the idea I love. If that were to happen in America, there might be some crazy stuff go down. But I guarantee you innovation in this country will go through the roof. If I had that kind of money per month coming in, and I didn't have to go work, I would still go work, but then I would build my own company doing something I'd love to do, and I would do everything in my power to innovate and make it you know, more in whatever industry I go into. I'm going to make things more accessible and more available. That's everything that this country is about. Exactly. Yeah. You, and I, if you supplied that basic income, mm-hmm. you're, it's like you're pushing people go out there and do your freaking best exactly and that's what i love about it you're no longer tied down to working at mcdonald's nine you know 40 hours a week uh you are free to do what you want to do with life and that's kind of the beautiful aspect of it and and just so you know a billion dollars um if you spent one thousand dollars every day it would still take you two thousand seven hundred and forty years to burn through a billion so I think I think yeah. we're, I think we're cool capping capping <laughs> yeah, they're people doing at a billion okay. dollars. I think they're doing fine at that point. Yeah, so. I, I think that gets a little bit more complicated in that most of that money typically isn't in liquid form. It's right. It's, usually it's, it's investments, right. and yeah. I know Jeff Bezos really isn't sitting well, on piles of cash. Right. Not yeah. It's, it's that, that we way know because of. they sit it on it that way because like, practically they no can taxes. avoid the bullshit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. They can avoid all the bullshit and they can hold on to all that wealth because they're holding it that way. <laughs> so I guess before the universal basic income can happen, you're going to have to push 
there's going to have to be some pushes made and maybe some other laws put into place about keeping money into assets. That's the thing. You know, when are we going to quit penalizing the lower middle class? I, I will purposely kind of take a step back and take time off of work if I'm concerned I'm about to jump into the next tax bracket. Because I know financially I would not be able to deal with that unless I had money but saved. The tax system needs to be more progressive than right, more more gradual or gradient. I would assume, at least for the like, I'm in a position where that socially the government wants me to stay where I'm at because if I go like if I make more money, I go into the next tax bracket. I got that first home, you know, that first time. Homebuyer's loan, I got a loan like that. But hey, it's a first-time homebuyer's loan. Which I mean, I can't get it again. I'm not applicable again. And now I'm in a situation where I used that opportunity to buy a a cheaper house because that's all I could do. And so now I'm stuck with this cheaper house, and I have to really like. I mean, you got to work. You got to hustle if you want to do things the right way in this country if you want to follow the rules and and not stab people in the back and not do illegal stuff you are going to just barely scrape by yep mm-hmm. plain and simple and they people are you know people give so many hard times go give so much crap to the lower class and people in uh low income housing but they're going to figure out how that what they got to do to make ends meet and there's a lot of bull crap that comes in you know comes with that yeah. the perk to you know homeowning is you build equity and you can make a profit off of your house but renting an apartment you don't make a profit at all that money just right. disappears yeah. that's that's the single and, biggest yeah. investment that people have or biggest tool that people have for building wealth is homeownership. Yeah. And then Most you people. have all these extra fees. So you have, you know, some people have to pay utilities. Then you have to pay trash. Then you have pet rent. And then you have a pet deposit. Then you have your security deposit. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of money that you're throwing at an apartment community. a lot of money you're throwing at houses too right now too How, the 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 prices of houses are like real estate's at an all-time high i think mm-hmm. isn't it? yeah yep sure yeah and it's like I wages mean, are low yeah 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 prices are high houses much. houses that were $125,000 when i was buying a home are $212,000 now like yeah i the houses I would like to live in are way, way out of my price range. And I'm not looking for anything right. crazy. I just want something that's I mean, three bedroom, two bath, and I'm Maybe happy. I'm a socialist, but I want people at the bottom to be up where I am because I'm, I'm at a point, finally, um, where I'm not wealthy, but I'm I'm not that stressed financially. I think we're, we're finally right. fairly comfortable. And it when you kind of reach that threshold of being able to afford kind of your basic bills and have, you know, everything paid for Extra. and you're right, you, you, where you're not constantly stressed. That's where I think everybody should be. Um, I, I think that should be kind of a baseline level. Yeah, that'd be crazy. Exactly. And that's what I think that UBI could do for be us. Beautiful. It would be. <laughs> Comfort is It is key. relaxing. It yeah, really is. And that right. was always, always my goal. And I think for the first time in my life, I'm finally at that point. And it's such a nice well, feeling. I mean, I would, it I would is. like to feel a little bit more than comfortable. But, but I mean, I'm I'm just, uh, you know, one layoff away from that being all taken away. I mean. Um, and, that, and that's another sad reality is that we, without a that cushion of something to back you up here, we're all just one or two paychecks away from disaster. Right. Yep. So we're all yeah, living on the edge and we all place. act like we, you know, we're entitled to everything we earn and we shouldn't share it. And that's kind of the rule trick that uh, the right wants us to believe is that you know you earned your your way to the top there but let me tell you it's not guaranteed you're gonna stay there yeah right hmm. interesting interesting stuff do we have uh do we have any more thoughts 
Oh, I think I don't know. I think that's our show, kids. It's <laughs> an excellent show tonight. Start building that credit, kids. You guys, yep. Start building. If it there's up. anyone out there that has, uh, a, you know, wants to argue with some of our ideas, uh, reach out to us. Uh, we've we've got the email, the info at uh, analyzepodcast.com that you can reach out to us right now. I am working on the website still, um, building a questionnaire right now for uh, becoming a guest at analyzedpodcast.com. Uh, but in the meantime, you know, please reach out to us. We would love to talk to you. Um, you can criticize our views. We'll analyze yours and um, maybe have some interesting discussions. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, we'll talk to you again next time. Legend. <laughs> Legend was way hardcore.